And the goal of this show is to introduce you to the people and ideas that will help you live truly fulfilling lives. Today I'm speaking with Dr. John Ratey, MD. Best-selling author Dr. Ratey is an associate clinical professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School and an internationally recognized expert in neuropsychiatry. He's published over 60 peer-reviewed articles and 11 books published in 17 languages. And with the publication of Spark, the revolutionary new science of exercise and the brain, Dr. Ratey has established himself as one of the world's foremost authorities on the brain fitness connection. Recognized by his peers as one of the best doctors in America since 1997, Dr. Ratey was recently honored by the Massachusetts Psychiatric Society as Outstanding Psychiatrist of the Year for advancing the field. He's frequently profiled in the media from ABC, CBS, NBC, and lots of other things with a few letters, New York Times, Newsweek, Washington Post, and that is just scratching the surface. John, thank you so much for being here. It's great to be with you. I'm looking forward to it. One of the things I found really interesting is that we've known about the effect of exercise on our mood for, I think it's 2,400 years since Hippocrates. That was his treatment for depression in three or 400 BC, wasn't it? I think it was 350 BC, but we're correct, you know, whatever. One of the things I was going to ask is that the American Psychiatric Association in 2010 finally approved exercise as a viable treatment for depression. So if we've known about this for 2,300 years, why did it take so long? Well, because it was very hard to get double-blind, placebo-controlled studies that people would believe. We had we had them before, uh, all along, but it took one psychiatrist who stood in both camps, who stood in the camp of psychopharmacology as well as exercise. Dr. Trevedia from Texas, who did both, and he was a world expert in in psychopharmacology, which was leading the way in the American Psychiatric Association for the longest time. And he said, hey, I'm doing both. These both work. Uh, let's, what are we doing not putting it in there? Or at least that's my fantasy of what happened. But the evidence was accumulating overwhelmingly. And good studies coming out of Duke University, coming out of the University of Texas, coming, coming all over the world, actually, not just in the U.S., but all over the world, people were seeing, getting proof that exercise was a good way to unlock uh, the mood, to, to make it better, to prevent depression from coming on. So this is, is overwhelming, and it was a bottom-up approach so that it uh, said, we got to do it. We got to do it. But it shows you, I think, medicine in general, uh, you know, I go back to Niels Bohr's quotes, uh, who said, uh, old scientists don't change their mind, they just die. <laughs> <laughs> because it, it, it's like, you know, I mean, it's, it's hard for people who have spent their lifetime proving in one area, in one silo, uh, to sort of go outside that. And I think that's what really, what, what really we're left with, you know, that, that it takes so long for the, any field to change. Learning, especially for your work, about the brain-body connection was fascinating. The brain is a muscle, and the more we use it, the more we grow it. And when we don't use it, it starts to erode. And there's no human activity that engages and uses as many brain cells as exercise. That was, that was really interesting. And for, for good reason, uh, why that happens. 
is because the brain evolved when we were hunter-gatherers to help us be the best movers. The brain from the real bottom-up part of the brain to the very top of the brain was constructed to help us be the best movers. And why? To adapt to new circumstances. As the environment changed, as we uh, evolved into bigger uh, social groups, uh, all that took us to move better. And our thinking and learning is so related to movement. And I won't go into the very cellular nature, but it, it really is as we evolved, you know, a lot of our brain is about how we move and especially the front part of our brain. The front part of our brain evolved over time to, to help us plan, to help us organize, to help us imagine how to move correctly, to sculpt or say, no, don't, that's not right. Do this, do that. Then finally, we added more cells as our brain grew. Our big frontal lobe grew essentially to help us be the best movers and therefore be the evolutionary victors. And then as we got bigger social groups and, and language sort of emerged to help us coordinate actions, coordinate the social groups, these cells that we added on to help us move correctly, we co-opted them, we used them to think with. And that's the magic, the magic of why moving activates the same cells that we use to think with. Okay, and so if the thinking thing was the very last thing to be added, us trying to fix all problems through this cerebral, just using our thinking to fix these things, that is, it seems almost backward, doesn't it? Like, so we should almost start with the movement and then, would that make sense? Yes, 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 yes. In fact, now that the schools in, in the Netherlands and in the US have done studies recently in the past six years or so, showing that kids learn better while they're moving. Now, not, not intensely, because when you go too intense, you're taking resources away from the, the, the learning part of the brain a bit. But for instance, Stanford University did this big study with probably freshmen and sophomores in Psych 101. So they, they corralled them into uh, doing these studies where they looked at about five different tests of creativity in three different attitudes. One, where they just came in and sat down and they gave them these tests and measured how creative they could be. Then the second time was in another week, they came in and they were given another set of five tests, but while they were walking. Then the next week or so, and this is not quite how it was done, it was more randomized than I'm presenting, they had them come in, walk for 10 minutes, and then sit down and do these creative tests. Well, what they found to their surprise, because everyone assumed it was after the walk that they would be better, well, what they found that they were best when they were walking. And both walking and after they walked were better than just coming in and sitting. So in other words, it primed the brain to be more creative, but in fact, while you were walking, that's when you're more creative. You know, Richard Branson 
gets it. You know, his his new office buildings don't have chairs. He wants everybody to be standing while they're working. And his meetings are walking meetings. So, you know, and he's he's sort of an activist going wild, as, as my new book talks about. But but that's just one example. I mean, our Silicon Valley is full of walking, biking, running, swimming, because they want to get the most out of their staff. So the two things that are, that are happening there are walking and meditation, because meditation does similar kinds of things, as we know. Not quite the same, but it activates so much of our brain. The whole point of this is to activate as much brain as we can to use the kind of resources that we need. So by exercising, by meditation as well, we activate more brain cells, and therefore we're able to employ them. In a study on rats, the dopamine receptors were turned off in their brains. What happened? Yeah, when you block dopamine receptors, you find that you, you block motivation, you block attention, you block directedness towards whatever the target is for you to learn. So you make the person essentially dumber and less motivated and less able to focus. One of the things we know from the use of stimulants, coffee, nicotine, Ritalin, uh, Dexedrine, you know, all the stimulants that, that we use in, in our lives, they really focus on dopamine and norepinephrine, but dopamine is an extreme target for, for this. And in my work on ADD, this is a big, a big deal. So we pump up the dopamine all over the brain to help stay attentive, to stay focused. And nothing boosts dopamine as much as exercise. So like if we boost the exercise, then our dopamine levels boost, and therefore we're more motivated, we're more focused. When we exercise, there's a whole bunch of things that happen right away. And like when we're standing, okay, that's why the standing desks are popular. That's why we see through Google and Cisco and here at MIT, the MIT Media Lab, a lot of people don't have chairs at their computers. They're standing, you know, for a good part of the day. Why? Because they're, they're boosting their dopamine and norepinephrine and a bunch of other things, but those for sure. The, the benefits of walking, however, are, are way undersold. And when you look at the anti-Alzheimer uh, literature these days, they're, they're number one, almost all of them. Their number one piece of advice is exercise. And they're not necessarily talking about running uh, or swimming. Though those are great. Those are very good. But at the base, it's moving, you know, 10 to 15,000 steps a day. Number one in all of them, and then diet uh, with it, because they, they often go together, and then sleep, and then mindfulness, and then the big one is connection. If you're exercising with a group outside, that's the best. Why? You'll come back to it. You'll do it again. You'll be. Uh, you'll feel guilty if you miss it. Uh, and that's why you're seeing this in the states, and I think everywhere. You're seeing this random popularization of 
groups that are about moving, walking groups, running groups, biking groups, swimming groups, uh, triathlon groups, uh, Zumba groups, uh, you know, groups that are gathering together to move and then relate to one another. Because the whole thing about keeping the brain going is in keeping it active is about challenging it, you know, challenging our brain. So exercise really challenges it better than anything. Activity, change the term to activity, to, to physical activity rather than exercise. Being active uh, challenges our brain cells, and, and that's just like challenging our muscle cells, which causes them to recover and grow. And if you're doing it Outside, you have to pay attention. So that more than if you're on a treadmill or that you're on, in a familiar territory, you're, you're going into a different area. If you're with somebody and talking, that's a, that's a challenge for the brain, right? It's a challenge. It's fun. It's better. You feel you get so much benefit out of being with somebody. And if you're out in nature, my God, it's, that, that has its own positive on uh, the brain and so we feel better and so if you are exercising with somebody that you care about or you, you're, you're obligated to even to be there okay that keeps you going and then if you're outside it's it it's a big bonus because we know that nature is something that we need to have in our lives step one we recognize that exercise is just as, if not more important for our brains than it is for our bodies. Once we make that link, the exercise and our brains, it still seems like, it still seems so strange. We're so used to exercising the body, yep, exercising the brain, what? It's so hard for people to make, to make that switch because, you know, because one, we're not, in some ways we're evolved to expect to exercise, you know, our genes sort of develop and expecting us to move because they're hunter-gatherer genes that we have. Only 10,000 years ago, we were hunter-gatherers, and we were moving on average eight to 10 miles a day, you know, and, and so that's like 20,000 20, steps a day, you know, or so, and, uh, and we're not doing that, okay? We're sitting. There's not that genetic push to move because we were also had these genes that we evolved to help us retain and store any foodstuffs that we had, any, any fuel, because tomorrow we might be starving. Tomorrow might we run out of plants and we didn't catch that antelope yesterday. So you have to conserve it. Well, we don't need to conserve it in most areas of the world these days. Our foodstuff or fuel in our bodies, and so we have our obesity crisis around the world, you know, in, in developed countries and undeveloped countries, obesity, overweight is such a huge problem. So these two evolutionary drives are at loggerheads, where they're both these, yeah, they're, they're both these natural impulses, but because food is so readily available, one of them is actually really helpful to us. The other one is now, I think, who was it? Someone saying, um, when yesterday's medicine becomes today's poison or something where this was this this idea of gorging 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 it was it was a great feature for 
thousands of years, but now just in our society, this has suddenly become some some poison. So it's uh, it, it's so interesting. Well, it was it was it was a guiding force for six to eight million years. Millions, we, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, you know, so our genes, which evolved during that time, are all set up. We have these thrifty genes, okay, that say eat the highest caloric food that you can find, because that's important to get those calories in to get to store fat you know, into our bodies because. You know, tomorrow we might be walking 30 miles uh, to the next berry patch or before we find somebody runs down an antelope or a wild pig or whatever to give us food source that we can replenish. So, uh, yeah, it's at loggerhead. So we have this. So, so just relax, just sit on the couch, you know, and so we do that. And uh and we have to overcome that. You wrote Spark in, I think, 2008. What have, because um, I know that you just get sent almost like by the day. There's like, there's so many studies coming out. Since 2008, what do you feel are some of the most exciting discoveries since then in the last decade or so? Okay. The, what's, what's the most surprising thing is where these studies are coming from on all kinds of things. They're coming from Iran. They're coming from uh, certainly all the... European countries and huge numbers are coming from Asia, uh, especially China. China is really into it. They are really into treating depression, treating anxiety, treating attention deficit disorder. Uh, they're, and, and they, they of course have many, many subjects. You know, they, they have a huge number of possible subjects and you see papers coming out looking at interventions like exercise uh, that are huge numbers so that it's giving great statistical power to that which we know. Because over here in, in the U.S., we might have a study that has 60 people. They have 600 people. Uh, so you begin to really begin to say it's really proven uh, that this is uh, is really uh, something that we can uh, hang our hat on. So th that's the biggest positive uh, movement I think is it, it, that I've seen. And and there's just st study after study, and they're getting finer, they're getting better. Okay, what now we're beginning to sort of say, okay, what exercise is useful for what? You know, just like the Stanford study and others that followed. Is it okay while we're moving? Your brain is still really, really good. So you're seeing this, uh, as I mentioned earlier. I think the Netherlands has a whole group that is looking with the Ministry of Education of teaching the kids in grade school how to read and 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 do numbers while they're moving. And what this shows, what 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 an interesting thing. This is perhaps one of the more interesting things that I that came up is that in in the Netherlands they looked at a group uh, of, of of regular uh, Netherlands people and a group of immigrants who were in the same school system, tested them at the beginning and found that the the recent immigrants were not paying attention as much, uh, not what we call time on task, 
and not learning as much. They did a two-year intervention where they had exercise in the classroom for 10 minutes in the morning, 10 minutes in the afternoon, essentially. And at the end of two years, that changed. In other words, those recent immigrants whose parents were both working perhaps or didn't have the resources to read to them and get them focused on schoolwork, they made it almost to where the given to kids, the kids that, you know, the, the, uh, the kids that, that didn't have disadvantages. Uh, and they had really neat ways of figuring that out. But in, in big studies uh, showed that this, this was a, an equalizer, you know, beginning to equalize. And this is two years, two years of moving in the classroom. Really tremendous. And, and to me, that, that, that is what we need to, uh, you know, make uh, known to everyone. I mean, and, and this is just looking at the schools. Certainly, we're we're getting so much has changed in terms of uh, working to preserve our brains as we age, because the biggest tsunami coming is the aging issue, you know, and 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 losing our brains. Uh, everybody has stories of their somebody that they know and love who's lost their minds, you know, and, and as, as they age into cognitive decline and dementia, uh, <clears throat> everybody, it's all over. And so a, a huge change has been looking at what we need to do to prevent that. And, and the biggest prevention, I mean, the big move today is to decrease inflammation in neuroinflammation in the brain. And that happens to be important for all the psychiatric issues too, like depression, anxiety, and all that, but certainly uh, for aging the brain. And so what's, what's happened, the, as I mentioned, the number one recommendation is stay exercising, is begin exercising. And that goes across, that's yoga, that's walking, that's swimming, that's climbing, that's biking, uh, that's gardening, uh, you know, that's being like my mother-in-law who's running around the house, you know, and uh, uh, it, it's just phenomenal to see this in, in medicine in general. You know, we have a big movement here called Exercises Medicine for the Brain, and that's, that's amongst medical professionals, okay, and, and that's a huge change. And it's people, uh, you know, saying, oh, we have this and that drug with this and that drug because the drug companies have the money and they have Madison Avenue and they have, uh, but what they are coming to, even in cancer treatment, they're coming to, you might do your anti-cancer treatment, with drugs and radiation and surgery. But the number one recommendation after that is stay moving, get moving. Why? Because it promotes the best immune system for you to continue to fight off the cancer cells and to help reduce uh, the devastation that they're causing. So, and it's, it's inculcated in, in these treatment centers. That's that's the most exciting thing, I'd say, right off the top.
is that we're learning this and it's gradually moving in. And so we're seeing amongst medical students, I talk to the Harvard medical students all the time, not all the time, but at least once a year about wellness and about exercise. And they're really avid about learning this stuff. This was a few years ago, so maybe there's many more places now, but I know that Quebec were one of the first places where all licensed MDs have a special prescription pad that was different. Yeah. Like, what was different about those prescription pads? Well, the pres- prescription pad was that, well, they made this law, which I, I don't think it's, all these laws that, that get passed are not really uh, followed through. But in Quebec, they said, okay, every doctor's visit, whether you're going to a dermatologist, whether you're going to an eye doctor, whether you're going to your GP, okay, you had a prescription pad that you had to give, a certain prescription pad, you had to give this prescription to your patient at every visit, which was a, a, an exercise prescription. How much to do, how often, etc. how many minutes uh, a, a week or a day or whatever, and you had to write it out and give it to them. That was the idea. Well, in the UK, for instance, in 2002, 2003, the House of Commons said, okay, we know that getting people who are depressed or anxious and, and, uh, you know, prisoners of their house need to get out and exercise. So they passed a bill of some sort saying every community will have a center that will provide mentors or companions to get people who are depressed out walking. Of course, there was no money to follow that, but you know, it, it never, it never got in place. But there was a, an appreciation of the fact that this is a way we need to work on things, and and a big part of that also is that when you get out. You're less lonely. You're le- you're much more connected. And two years ago now, when I was over talking in the UK, they had just passed a, whatever a law or uh, created a ministry of loneliness. Did not know that. Yeah, no, most people don't know about it. Don't hear about it. Not not a big deal, but it's a big deal. Because that's a huge problem, not just aging, but uh, all throughout our life's development for a large part of the population who are wedded to their cell phones or their screens of one sort or another, they're not interacting with others. You know, they might be in the interactive games, but they're not physically involved with other people as much, nearly as much as we used to be. We had to. Now we're, we're content to be addicted to the TV programs or the latest games or entertaining ourselves to death. You know, it's uh, um, amusing ourselves to death was a great phrase, oh, now 40 years ago, you know, because we had the option of doing that. Nothing like, wasn't even anticipating what we have today where we're doing that. John, how can people find out more about you and your work? Two ways. One is my website, which is not very active. It's johnrady.com. And then there's another one called sparkinglife.org. 
It's my nonprofit that was started now nine years ago. But we're finally beginning to put a lot of content on it. And for a daily boost, I have a Facebook page called John Rady MD. And if you go there, my nonprofit has hired a woman who is brilliant, who scours the world, uh, popular media, to pick up a, a story or a story of a study that is digestible and understandable uh, and posted every morning for people to take in on the benefits of exercise, the benefits of meditation somewhat, but really exercise and how it affects not only cognition, learning and memory, but also mood, addictions, attention, all the things that I've written about in my book. And we are seeing so many reports all over the world saying, okay, this is real. This is happening here. This school system is getting their kids running a mile in the morning or, or this, this group of 80-year-olds are walking together and, and they're having much better lives, you know, or stuff like that. Stories that, that hit you. John, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come speak with me. It's, uh, oh. it's early of you, so I appreciate it. And um, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. And it's, um, it's great to see you. And I've been, I've been in watching and enjoying it for a while. So thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Happiness.info